Welcome to a podcast called Scores and Pours, hosted by me, sommelier Joe Mott, and radio host Emily Reese. Today, we're going to talk about electricity and how the invention of electricity affected wine and classical music. If you like our show, consider making a financial contribution for as much as, you know, your life is worth or as little as $1 a month to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash scores and pours. And there you'll also find a full playlist and a wine list. That was us getting shot because today we're going to talk about electricity. <laughs> it's amazing. Electricity. Hi, Jill Mott. What's up, Emily Reese? Uh, not much. I'm excited to talk about this topic because this is a weird one. <laughs> do you, when you think about electricity, do you immediately think about Benjamin Franklin or Thomas Edison? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Were they the first? Were they the first to invent electricity? Yeah. God, no. The most concrete person I could come up with because there's like people that had theorized about electricity. Granted, this is, we promise this is not an electricity podcast. It's not. (laughs) Um, But Michael Faraday back in like 1831 was, I think, the one who came up with the electro or with electromagnetic induction, which is like the principle behind the electric converter and slash transformer. So there were many ideas about electricity before. But I think he's the one who actually put it into, like, I don't know. So just, I don't know, that's just a little piece of history to what we're going to talk about today. Amazing. Good thing you looked up that thing. I mean, just because (laughs) I need that kind of stuff taking up room in my brain. (laughs) And from a wine perspective, I'm going to talk about electricity both um, literally and metaphorically um, for tasting wine and also how electricity, like why it's so important in the cellar, how much money is spent on it. Way more than you'd think it would be. Wow, I bet. Yeah. What about you? I'm going to talk about uh, a type of classical music that would not exist, could not exist without electricity. And it's uh, it's called musique concrète. And I love that that's why you said something about concrete a minute ago, a concrete example, or I don't know what you said, but musique concrète literally translates to concrete music. So I wish that's I, what we're going to talk about. I wish I, that pun was intended, but um, <laughs> sorry, Dad, it wasn't. For one... I think it's 1930s and 40s that most homes in America, including rural homes, had electricity. And so it's safe to say I couldn't find any concrete dates when electricity started to be used in cellars in in the United States, we're speaking Mm -hmm. about, um, not outside of this country. But it's safe to say that by the 50s, most wineries were, except for those attempting to be off the grid, Mm -hmm. were had the capacity to use electricity. Yeah. Well, that's music. I love it. Yeah. So let's get everybody really somber so that we can drink. (laughs) That's probably... (laughs) I mean, and that's the thing. Musique concrète involves taking sounds that already exist, so sounds that have been recorded, and creating music from those recordings. And using those recordings, you can manipulate those sounds too. So you could take, for instance, the human voice. You can slow it down. You can speed it up. You can serve. You can do all kinds of things to it. You can take sections of the of the sound and elongate it electronically. Back in the day, they used tape to do this, um, but it's that's basically it. You're taking existing sounds that have been recorded, 
and making a, a composition from that. So compiling almost in a collage, a sound collage kind of way is mm-hmm. sometimes how you can think of it. Um, and the very first man to do this was a French man named Pierre Schaefer. And he lived from 1910 to 1995. And in uh, the early 40s, he started experimenting with this. He had an engineering background in, in audio, and, and so he was familiar with tape recording equipment of the day, which was pretty new, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he kind of, he, he's charged with inventing ways to, to manipulate sound and think about recorded sound. And isn't it, isn't it when we, just so people, when they're listening to this, because it is... Um, something, you know, Emily and I talk about often on the show, the difference between like active and not active listening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's really easy to listen to, you know, not actively British springtime music, right? Yeah. But this is music that's really hard to have on in the background because you drive yourself nuts. Right. Also, but to note as you're listening to this, that these techniques that, that Mr. Schaefer employed are now used by almost every record company yeah. that in existence, how he samples and how he yeah, is it's producing these. ubiquitous. I mean, it literally nowadays what happens on, you know, big budget soundtrack and small budget too, for sure, uh, soundtracks for media, film, television, you know, uh, a lot of times, and certainly not all the time, but there are times when you're hearing an orchestra play and it's not an orchestra, it's a computer. And that's done by a process called sampling. And this is the earliest example of sampling is from Pierre Schaefer in the 1940s. It's really crazy. So he completely changed the the way everyone thinks about music and in, in, thinks about using music in an electronic way, I guess, is what I'm trying to think. And in terms of even the job that our mixing uh, engineer, Sam Keenan, does when he mixes this podcast. He's using things that, and he's knowledgeable about things that Pierre Schaefer did with um, the sounds that Pierre was manipulating. What are we, what are you going to listen to? One of the very first examples of this from Pierre Schaefer is called Five Studies of Noises. And the very first movement is the actual first example of musique concrète. But we're going to listen to the third movement because... Uh, this is all piano sounds. This is all recordings of actually another really influential 20th century composer and conductor, Pierre Boulez, playing piano, recorded by Schaefer. Then Schaefer took those recordings and cut them up and messed around with them. So you can hear, in some instances, you can hear a piano, right? It sounds piano-ish. Mm-hmm. So in any event, let's listen to that. This is the third etude of noise, Five Studies of Noises by Pierre Schaefer. Third movement. reminds me of really tricked out crazy movies and yeah. you know that were happening in the 50s and 60s and even 30s and 40s you know yeah because this was done in 48 right 48 okay yeah the the technique is now used all over 
everything, particularly when composers want music to sound scary. This is a really great way to do it because it's sound and it's unfamiliar, Mm -hmm. which we always want to label everything that we see or hear. And when we can't do that, it's unsettling. So, like, for instance... Great point. You can hear how there are elements of a piano here One of the things that uh, Pierre Schaefer did is he would remove what's called the attack, so the initial start of the sound. Mm -hmm. And if you can visualize how a sound changes over time, if you Mm -hmm. play the note on the piano, how there's an initial loudness and then it tapers a little, that's called the envelope of the sound. And he's credited with manipulating that. And uh, just really remarkable stuff that he did. But one of the things that he loved to do was remove that first attack because then you're just left with the body of the sound with very little context to what made it. And we're so, yeah, we're so used to having that context. Yeah. So let's, um, because you had had me listen to the Etude Pathétique, the one that is based off of saucepans, canal boats, singing, speech, harmonica, and piano, yeah. and I love that. I loved it because I love to cook, and I did. I heard saucepans, and I was like, "Oh my god, really?" Yeah. And, but then it's such so all over the place. So can we can Definitely. we have listeners listen to that? Because it's pretty. I love this one. Yeah, this is great. Yes. Yes. If there was an explosion, it would be that would be me in the kitchen, something <laughs> burning something. Do you know what a lot of this reminds me of? Hmm. In in a in a way, is I've heard some things that Bjork has done. That's all over this. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, and even I, I've done this before and I didn't know that this is what I was doing. Yes. Like I've taken, um, I've been ripping paper to make different noises and I've been like doing that to a beat and then turning it into a different, and I didn't know mm-hmm. that that was actually basically mm-hmm. like musique concrete. Crazy. It is as long as you're taking the recording of that sound and manipulating yeah. it. Yeah. 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 It's so it's, crazy. It's really incredible. And one of the things I, uh, um, that's said about musique concrète is how it does what music is supposed to do in the first place. And you alluded to this in, in earlier where you're actually listening. You're listening with intention, mm-hmm. right? You're concentrating on what you're hearing as opposed to it being background. So Well, and I like what um, Pierre Schaefer said when he he wrote somewhere I, re- I read that he he has been quoted as saying sound is the vocabulary of nature and i think we've mentioned a couple different times on this podcast about Rameau mm-hmm. and you know him thinking about music and the th- music theory in a way that's very akin to nature and nature sounds mm-hmm. um, so i think that that's really cool that we're experiencing it in a not a baroque harpsichord fashion <laughs> But now we're in, you know, we're fast forwarding, you know, 600 years and we're in a totally different 
you know, yeah. time frame and just what what is acceptable and what is yeah. you know considered out there. Yeah. You you mentioned you wanted to do the first one, the yeah. Oshiman Defer, because it's so crazy. This one's pretty great, just um, because again, it's really easy to hear what you're hearing. So let's just hear it. Yeah, without <laughs> saying what it is. Yeah. Okay. Except for those of you that speak French and can understand my terrible French. Then I'm while you're cooking some night <laughs> for your dinner guests during COVID. Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> um, but yeah, really influential uh, style of, of trains. music. Yep. Trains. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Trains. Just think for those of you who didn't, yeah. didn't know, because the first uh, sound sounds like when like one of my nieces yelp at me or something. So, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. But yeah, trains. trains. Crazy cool stuff. Um all right. Well, let's let's chat about uh, electricity in the winery because it's it's interesting to note that for making wine, I mean, most people would obviously say, yeah, electricity is necessary. But how much, like, how much money is being spent? It's approximately, you know, give or take. All wineries are different. The electrical usage can add up to forty percent, if not more, of an annual budget in a winery. And if, if you think about it, I mean, what is it used for? We have our pumps. We have our, we're charging the forklift every 10 minutes. We have our presses. We have anything that we're using, you know, our pressure washer, our temperature control tanks, our temperature control jackets, our, you know, heat exchangers, if you're using that filtration systems, if you're using that, like, and this isn't, this isn't even counting the fact that you may have a tasting room where you have refrigerators and you mm -hmm. have to keep ice cold and, you know, whatever. Lights. So, and lights, yeah, yeah, <laughs> of course. So I wanted a figure, right? I, my electricity in my little, you know, 800-square-foot apartment is like 20 bucks <laughs> max, okay? In a home, you know, that's probably right around 100. Different friends say different things, but it's about 100 bucks a month if you have efficient windows and stuff like that. So this winery, I, I was I contacted a friend who I knew would give me those stats, and he said, "Well, I've seen his winery. It's a very efficiently designed winery, but it's an artisanal one. So we'll say about ten thousand cases or less of wine a year. It's nine thousand square feet for everything, including a tasting, a small tasting room, and at the height of harvest, it's seven to eight hundred dollars a month." And then in a slow month where you're in the cellar, but you might not be there every day and you're not, you know, you're not running a ton of, a ton of different systems at once. It's, you know, right around four to $500 a day. Okay. A but month. So, a month. Uh, or thank you. A yeah. month. Yeah. Okay. So if we add that up, I mean, I always figure high so that I don't come out in the hole, but that's, you know, five to $10,000 a year. Think mm -hmm. of how much wine you have to sell. I mean, yeah. how just to pay for the electricity, just to pay for the electric bill, you know, <laughs> which is crazy. And I like I think about when I was working in a cellar, the first thing I did every day was turn on the lights 
and turn off the CO, the fan that was running to blow the CO2 to circulate so I didn't die when I walked in the cellar after all, you know, all that fermentation is expelling CO2. Okay. So it's like you, you're turning something on, you're turning something off. It's mm-hmm. like always, Yeah. I don't know. It's, yeah. And if you forget to charge the forklift, I'm sorry, plug your ears, parents, you're fucked because you have to do so much with that forklift that like, um, and you're just electrical. I just think of planning when you're you're building a cellar. Like, where are all your electrical outlets? Because if you don't have things in the right spot, and then you go stick a tank somewhere and you're sticking... I mean, the planning in a winery yeah. is so insane. And it a lot of times is surrounding, of course, space and maximizing it, but where you're going to put all your electrical sockets. You know, it's kind of <laughs> awesome. So should we drink something? Yes, please. Okay. I will talk about metaphor electric metaphor okay. in a moment. Okay, let's um, drink for sure. But let's taste some wine. Yeah. So I chose a, a wine that I think represents electricity in wine. Okay. Um, and I'll tell you why in a moment. But this is Andy Knaus. He's out of the Württemberg, and we're in the southernmost wine region in southern Germany. And here he's got some limestone soils. He's got some different sandstone soils, soils, excuse me. But this is his Riesling that's um, all done with native yeast. Uh, it's low in the sulfur regimen and done in stainless steel to preserve preserve freshness. Two scores and pours. Two scores and pours. I think the smell of white wine, and I love the smell of all the wines, but white wine, it's like one of my top favorite smells in the world. Wow. It's very electric. And for Riesling, that's usually um, very terpene rich and has a lot of aromatics and a lot of diversity of aromatic compounds. This is very, it has that, but it's also very mineral driven. And so that is just a quick little hint of why metaphorically we talk about electricity. Awesome. I love it. To come. Great. I wanted to share an example of someone, not Pierre Schaefer, even though Pierre Schaefer, definitely the inventor of musique concrète, he, co- he coined the term himself in 1948 as well. We're going to hear from a Greek-French composer. Who's born in Romania. Who's born in Romania. And his name is Yanis uh, Xenakis or Xenakis. And Yanis le- lived from uh, 1922 to 2001. He was... Uh, very skilled architect and actually designed buildings in the world. You can like look up Xenakis buildings. You can hear it when you listen to it. You're like, <laughs> that guy was into structure. He was totally into structure. He was a mathematician. And um, there are actually some really special examples in the 20th century of mathematician composers. Um, we'll, we will talk about one when we discuss uh, the 1960s in classical music uh, another super influential 20th century composer, Milton Babbitt, known for his serial music, also a very talented mathematician. And Xenakis, again, uh, very much into uh, math and statistics. So he wrote a piece called Diamorphoses. And in Diamorphoses, he uses sounds of earthquakes, jets taking off, um, actual recordings of musical instruments. So again, sampling music, musical instruments explosions, drills, a saw, the wind, thunder, many more sounds in this piece by Xenakis. So he used techniques like changing the speed of the tape, reversing the tape, 
combining sounds together to create new sounds, things along those lines. So this is Diamorphoses by Giannis Xenakis. So does anybody, you know, just as this is, as people are listening to this with me talking over it, can anybody argue that this isn't music? That this, because anything you listen to, like you and I talk, and people don't consider that music. Mm-hmm. So is it the fact that this is not voice, even though in some cases it may be, but because it sounds Well, it's not... I mean, because we're not in A major. We're not in a key. You know, I mean, there's not even a... There's just... This is just sounds, so... Yeah, but atonal music doesn't have a key either. Sure, sure. And that's... That wasn't, like, my argument for why this... Sure. Is this, but, I mean, like, there's... What... There's no... We don't have rhythm. hmm mm-hmm. I mean, we kind of do, but, like, what separates this from just being a collection of sounds put together? There's also a lot of music from the Romantic era that is kind of rhythmless because it's so... What we would call rubato... Uh, in nature, that it's hard. You can't really keep tempo, even though it might have a meter. It's like you. Can't. But there's a, yeah. There's a melody and a meter, mm-hmm. or there's a mm-hmm. undertone, or there's a compilation of sounds that are harmonic or or dissonant, but they are. Yeah, this is also highly structured. This isn't random. This sounds mm-hmm. random, but it's not at all. Especially with Xenakis and uh, composers who composed in musique concrète pieces. It's very structured, and there's, you know, a climax or not, or there's a use of instruments in some kind of form, and there is structure. It's intended for listening. Whether or not you like it on its own, you do hear it all the time, everywhere. So how is that not? I mean, it's a well, part, there's it's like, a part I, of like, music. I, and I, well, I just think of it more like when I'm watching a film. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of elements to this that would be considered like sound effects to enhance yeah. a scene or, um, and so I am having a little bit of a difficult time because other people that study music, those are the last people I want to think about because those are people that have been told it's music. So they're going to think it's music, right? Like it's Maybe. sort of like, it's sort of like is wine that has been fermented and made to be drank but it's totally got tons of volatile acidity. It's mousy up the wazoo. It's all this stuff. Is it still wine? Well, it's it's grape juice that's fermented. So, of course, it's wine. But if it's undrinkable, like, what I'm meaning is, like, this is, I'm, I'm going, I'm, so that's a little bit of a bad example because this is very listenable. It's very structured. Well, it's and it's very, not flawed, and you named flaws. Correct, correct. okay. Yeah. That's true. Very true. But there's a, like, I can't go play this. No. Nobody can go play this. Correct. So now we've got something that's intended for listening, but it can't be replicated. Somebody can't go and even transcribe this. Like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transpose this for the piano. <laughs> they can't. No. So this is sounds that are, they are, a lot of them are man-made sounds. Mm-hmm. So now they're not sounds that even are like, I'm taking... A bird's call. I'm taking a humpback whale's call, and I'm making 
some sort of triage. This is like I'm taking man-made sounds, I'm recording them, and then I'm twisting them up and maybe mixing up the order and cutting pieces up and putting them together. Mm-hmm. And I, I I understand why that's art. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why that's music. Yeah, I mean, every single point you've made, I've had a counter-argument for thus far. You know, I mean, I can list you examples of Baroque music that's unplayable and that can't be replicated. And I, I mean, there's there's minimalist music, which we'll talk about in our 1960s episode, that can't be replicated and can't be played. And you're never going to go hear a concert of. Um, there, uh, There is a piece of music right now... Um, that's going to take like a thousand years for the performance that's in progress right now somewhere in Europe. I can't remember, the UK somewhere where an organ changes notes once every 10 years or something. Nobody's going to live to hear that. You know, I mean, but it, it's an organ and it's, it's playing an organ. notes. You also said man-made sounds. Not true. There are nature sounds in here too. He uses okay. thunder. He's using wind. Okay. Um, so it's, and besides the very definition of art, the word art comes from artificial, which means man-made. Sure. All okay. art is man-made. Okay. So, I mean, I... But so this is, that's what I, like, this I think is art. Yeah, But I don't know if sure. it's, I don't know if it's, to me, I'm, not, I'm trying to just get around in my head yeah. why it's considered music and not performance art. I mean, where's the line? Or, Where do you draw the line? Because, I mean, I this, you couldn't... That's you what Scores and Pores is for, yeah. is asking these kind of <laughs> questions, people. Because you can say this is sound art, I guess. I mean, because that's what... If you um, said, if you presented this to me as sound art, I like, wouldn't even ask another question. Yeah, so what is it about that word music that you find so hallowed and untouchable by... Oh, any kind of sound that's constructed. I don't consider, I just think that to me music implies that there's some sort of, and I don't mean structure in this way, I mean or a melody or notes mm-hmm. or it can be written down or there's a meter mm-hmm. or there's something, there's something. And it's I mean, not free like it, jazz it's not doesn't like, have any of those things. Yeah, but you can hum along, you can- Not with like hardcore free avant-garde jazz. Ornette Coleman, there's all kinds of jazz out there with zero tempo and but could zero. You, yeah, but if you were like a genius, could you go replicate it? I mean, if you could go play an instrument, you could play and someone's taking an instrument yes. and then you could take an instrument and if you were good enough, yeah. you could do that. And in theory, you could with these too because there are scores and uh, diagrams that these composers made. Okay, of, well, see, now, there were, now we're getting somewhere. There are diagrams and there are scores. Yeah, so you could theoretically or hypothetically is probably the word to use there. Um, you could hypothetically take cre- recreate these sounds yourself and make your own version of diamorphoses as closely as you could, which, yeah. I mean, who's to say that's any different than taking a modern piano now sure. and doing your best with Bach? Yep. So, no, I think that that's, that is a, uh, mm-hmm. that's where the argument starts to become, for me, there's some validity to the argument is like yeah. you could go and try to replicate. Um, okay, well, all that talk has made me thirsty. So yeah. I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna go to, uh, I know we have maybe one more thing to talk about or listen to with what I do think is cool with with Yanis Zanakis is I saw on, on somewhere uh, that was speaking about specifically diamorphoses that um, written in the late 50s, by the way, that it's typically played on for people that like to actively listen to that um, on at least four speakers, Mm -hmm. which is 
then then I could also see it's about this experience of these sounds coming from different spaces because then they hit you differently mm-hmm. than you're just listening to it on your little computer speaker where it's all really treble and you're like, turn this shit off now. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's a different depth to having yeah. you know, the right speakers to listen to that, which I could see. And Zanakis also designed music to be heard in specific places. So it really does speak to how much he thought about the listening experience. Yeah, which yeah. that's cool. Electricity in wine is has been used as a metaphor for a really long time, and I, to me, what that can mean is threefold. Um, some people say, "Wow, this is such an electric wine," and to me, this Boutanche and Andy Knaus 2019 represents that because it's very rectilinear. It's very bright, and there's especially there's a lot of acidity and a lot of mineral notes. All of that kind of adds to this when you put it in your mouth. What do you think? How much acidity does it have? I would say this is high acidity. <laughs> it seemed to tone down a little bit, but mm. I think it's because I got used to it. You yeah, know, for sure. Because it's, it's very acidic. It's great. Yeah, the, your mouth is definitely salivating, which is how you know on the sides of your tongue that, that a wine has a lot of acidity. I, I also tend to think when it has a lot of energy and like vivacity and that's that's really hard to transmit you know because it you could taste it and say yes this is delicious it's got a lot of acid but it you're not receptive to the wine in that moment right and that's i think part of this wine is electric like it almost is giving you energy it's like i don't have a smoothie <laughs> but i have this glass of wine in front of me you know so like that's one thing to think about when we're when we talk about wines and their their electric component you know like how charged are they how much do they make you like Argh! and i think mo- more than you know the energy it's the acidity that gets people because this wine definitely riesling is very petroly we've tasted a couple on the last show we did anywhere from tropical to stone fruit notes with a lot of acidity and this is very mineral laden it, all of those are very pianoed if we're talking about it in in like voluminous and musical terms. <laughs> I think that it's interesting to talk about wine and electricity as uh, l- like literally and metaphorically, you want another little I do. splash? Yeah. You know, when I think of my times back in, in the winery, in various wineries, I, I've never worked at a winery that didn't have electricity. I've always worked um, in ones that did, thankfully. And I, I just remember how important it was. Like I, you know, I never really thought about it before to, you know, these last couple of days that I've been getting getting ready for the episode, but just how important if I didn't have an outlet in a certain place, how hard it would be to go do my job, yeah. extension cords, a pressure washer. Like I, there was one day I was steam cleaning barrels, getting them ready to fill, and that requires your pressure washer. Mm-hmm. So I've got two barrels going at once. I was running a press load, which is about, they can be in up to four to 500 volts. What does that mean? What's a press load? Uh, like when you're loading grapes into a press to press off the juice. Okay. So there's that. I okay. had that going. Yeah. And that's probably one of the things in the winery that uses the most amount of electricity. Mm-hmm. 
And then I was putting wine in a barrel, which required a pump. So now imagine that your winery, A, doesn't have electricity or one of your outlets goes out or something. And like all of your tasks, now I can't multitask. Right. And you end up slowing down your process by 30%, right? Or more, depending, yeah, or more yeah. depending on what you're doing. And I, I want to state too that the winery that I was speaking of, thankfully, you know, for them, they are a lot of their power is hydro. Oh, hydropowered neat. from a river nearby. Cool. They do have some coal fired on, on their grid, but like that $700 at the height of harvest is really, you know, that could be. And he was very specific in saying, we have it a lot cheaper than many places in the world because if you're not close to water, you don't have solar panels, yeah. you name your environmental ad- advantage, then yep. you your bill's going to be a few hundred dollars more. So imagine if, you're, if your electric bill is a grand a month. <sighs> Is right. As much as I love to the whole off the grid and that whole scene, if I were, yeah. if I ever owned a winery someday, man, I'm gonna have electricity. Yeah. <laughs> to electricity. To electricity. Chin chin. What do you think of the fruit and mineral component of this wine? Like how it smells. This it little smells like, like I just picked up a bunch of rocks from the shores of Lake Superior. Yeah, yeah, like lake, kind of like lake, lake rocks, water. Yeah, sure. with like some apple notes to it too. Yeah, I think this, apricot, little. Yeah, for sure. This wine, so it's spit, it states trocken on the back, so you know it's dry. It's twelve percent alcohol, which for if you see riesling and you see a higher, a little higher alcohol content, like above eleven percent, you know it's going to be a drier style real riesling. And La Boutanche is a label that the importers selection missal have partnered with a couple of their favorite wineries in germany and france to say hey your wine is so delicious 750 milliliters is not enough please put it in a liter bottle (laughs) and la boutanche has become synonymous with a lot of consumers knowing i'm going to get great quality but a great value so this liter is you know anywhere between 22 and 25 dollars depending on where you shop and you're getting organic juice made in a great way and you don't even really need to know what's in it. If you see La Boutanche, just buy it. <laughs> so <laughs> that's fantastic. Do you have anything more to say on the on the music front? Because I was I I had listened to another um uh Giannis Zanaki's work called Metastasis and it is I think a great prelude to Diamorphosis, because I I believe you wrote it beforehand. And Ooh. Then this is probably not musique concrète because diamorphosis. Correct. It's it's yeah. It's oh, okay. not considered musique concrète, but okay. it's like a prelude to it. Gotcha. Like you can tell it. There's he's doing it, and there's like classical music. Okay. Involved in a way that we can recognize as, you know, wanting to put things in a box as yeah. human beings, but then it's all kinds of sound effects and scary movie like nuance. And so I don't know, do you mind just Not throwing it in there? Because it's kind of cool to hear, I think, the, the bleeding of the two. So check this out while we're drinking some jagged electric Riesling. Yes. Woodblock. 
when I said sound effects earlier, I may have been wrong. I mean, but it, it, it's just so jagged that it almost sounds like that. That's all acoustic, yeah. There are almost 50 people playing instruments. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. I, I've never listened to this, but I wondered if this was the piece that he wrote for the orchestra where everybody plays a different part, because that's not normal. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, so when I said sound effects earlier, I, I apologize. I didn't mean it to me. And I think in my active and inactive listening, it um, I think I was just conjuring up in my head that, but <laughs> listening to it now actively, yeah. um, it's incredible. Here's where I think when we kind of go discussing the fact about music mm-hmm. and what's music and what's not. Yeah. And, and, you know, getting into opinionated territory. Here you have people taking instruments and mm-hmm. they're making noise. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted to, you could go and there are different, 60 different parts. Mm-hmm. Everybody's doing their own thing. We could all grab those scores and get sixty of our crazy friends that want to play this shit mm-hmm. and go play it. You know, we could <laughs> to replicate an empty it. concert hall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But do you know yeah. what I mean? That's mm-hmm. that's kind of what I. Even though this is dissonant, there's there's absolutely doesn't seem like there's a meter. You know, there's not a tone or a key. Yeah. We're able to listen and replicate, mm-hmm. and maybe that's in my head a definition of music as opposed to sound art. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just, I'm talking as I'm thinking through it, people, yeah. so don't judge me. <laughs> I can see why that could be a roadblock or a hurdle to uh, the listening experience. Well, I mean, if you need a reason to drink, anybody. <laughs> just listen to some musique concrète. <laughs> exactly. Or just pay attention next time you're watching a scary movie or a tense scene, you're going to hear musique concrète in video games, in commercials, in and notice movies. Yeah, notice how much of the music that you hear in non-pop culture but in modern times has taken some sort of sampling. I mean, just think of nowadays so much of people's quote-unquote music mm-hmm. is, yes, it's done their instruments or there's one instrument or something that, but they're mixing and they're, it's not, yeah. there's nobody playing those instruments. Just go listen to some crazy music. All hail electricity. Oh, yeah. So grateful for it. To scores and pours. To scores and pours. Thank you for listening to this episode of Scores and Pours with Jill Mott and Emily Reese. You can find links and information about this episode and support us financially at patreon.com slash scores and pours. We are on the gram at scores and pours. And when we figure out Reddit, which will hopefully happen in the next couple of weeks, 
You can check out updates there too when we have enough karma points, which we still don't even know what that means. <laughs> Consider supporting the musicians we featured today by buying their music. Edited by Emily Reese and Jill Mott. Our producer is Sam Keenan. Scores and Pours is a production of June Media, Inc. 